Good morning, everyone, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad you're here particularly because this is the first of our new series called Sustainable Power. Uh, we're intentionally having um, the speaker on earlier in order to give more time at the end of the meeting for worship and our response to the word and an opportunity for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be used. So I want to give more time for that, not less. So that's why we're doing it this way. The title, Sustainable Power, which is, um, which is not a new power product, eco-power product. It's, it's, it's a book written by Simon Holly. He's uh, the lead pastor at the King's Arms Church. This is a church, not a pub. The King's Arms Church in Bedford. It's a call to encourage a healthy culture of the supernatural in the church today. That's what the call is. So that's the point of this series. It's to remind us as the people of God what God has called us to. And, and, that, and that's where we are. So we just want to open this up during this series. I, I hope it's not just we're not stuck on a seven-week series and that's it. And then we're, I want us to just to generate a little bit of movement of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We've been made this way. So my family background, um, just if you're interested, uh, wasn't Christian. We weren't churchgoers. Jesus was not a key topic of conversation in our lives. The Bible was not a reference point to life. We didn't have fairly, uh, family prayer times. I can't remember anything. Uh, about, I can't even remember going to church. I'm, I'm sure we might have done. My family, my father worked out in the Middle East. So uh, at the uh, age of eight, I went to boarding school. And um, so I have no Christian recollection whatsoever up to that point. I went to boarding school. It was called the Cathedral, Truro Cathedral School. And I then went three times a week. So it was from no dose to overdose. Um, and... Uh, I mean, the, I, the only thing I could say is that it, it just produced immense hostility in me. I got a great antagonism towards this meaningless thing called Christianity. I was pretty hostile. So I'm at teacher's training college, and I meet these Christians. And I, you know, I just, I know this, they are different. I just, I just know it. They catch my attention. Uh, these people have not turned over a new leaf just recently, not done a New Year's resolution. Their lives were radically transformed. I, I just got it. I saw they were totally different. It, it caught me. They had something. I, I, knew, I knew the source of the something was God. I, I knew it. I could see it in their lives. You, you couldn't bottle it. You couldn't buy it over the counter. Can't get it online. You couldn't get it through willpower. This was God. This is what these people were. They were empowered by God. They had a radical purpose and power in their lives. It was not a one, one day a week thing. It was the whole of their lives. So I believe we, we need to remind ourselves what we're about as the people of God. It is an empowered life. I don't want us to have anything less. You get my drift on this here. So we're going to go to um, Luke 24. I want to say this isn't just my story, by the way. This is the story of the, this church. 
It knows things of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to, if we've disconnected, to reconnect. So let's go to Luke 24, and we'll go from verse 46, 49. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The church has always been designed for supernatural power. Let me just say the word always. Always. Always designed, clothed with power from on high. Paul writes to this church in Thessaloniki at another time, and he goes this. He said, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. There was weight to this gospel. It's the way that Jesus has designed us to be a people who are empowered by the radical life of God. This is is not about an upgraded life. I heard of that recently. No, it's about a transformed life. That's why we have that phrase. I hope it regularly sticks with us. Ordinary people changed by Jesus change the world. That's extraordinary. So last week, Richard Lodge was interviewing uh, James and Evie O'Connor. And uh, in part of the interview, James graciously gave us an insight into his life of addictions and how God had freed him from it. I don't know if you were here last week, but it's, I'm sitting on the front seat. And I, I know James O'Connor. I, I've seen him when he was younger. And I've seen some of the things he'd been through in his life. And I'm sitting down just on the front seat. And I'm, I am just... I know, I'm staring at a miracle. This is a miracle. What God has done in his life is a miracle. He's sitting there, he's talking about the homeless, and it's half the people who have addictions. I just thought, my goodness, what a miracle. I mean, just thank you, James and Eva. It was, it was such precious, it was such a precious time. And in the last few months, I've, it's just, been the way it is. I've read the book of Acts about three times, just for different reasons, but read the book of Acts. And time and time and again, I'm aware of the power of God working in their lives. And my, let, me, let me just say this. Uh, this is nothing new. Now, Moses wrote about this in the book of Exodus. Says, um, he, said about, he said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. So you find this in Exodus 33. If your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to know. And then I'm going to paraphrase here. What else will distinguish us from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? Come on, friends. What else will distinguish us from all the other peoples on earth? It's the presence of God. We should be a community. We should be a community of people like no other. Get it? Like no other. I would love to see the occasional become the frequent. The occasional healing become the regular healing. The occasional freedom from oppression to the frequent release from oppression. From the occasional response to salvation to the frequent 
response to salvation. Amen? We want to say that again? Amen? Well, we want that. The early church understood themselves. The early church understood themselves with the phrase, the people of the Spirit. Not Christians, that word came later. They understood themselves as people of the Spirit. That's why when Jesus told them to, to, to stay in the city, he said, until you've been clothed with power from on high. You just, there's something you need. If you want to do the witness stuff, this is something you need. You need to be clothed with power from on high. And then, Holy, then the Holy Spirit comes, is poured out at Pentecost, and Peter stands up amongst the disciples. I don't know how the other guys felt. You know, Peter stands up. If ever there's a man for being able to put his foot in it, it's Peter. And I, I'm thinking, and, and Peter stands up and goes, oh my goodness, what's he going to say? You know, perhaps James might be a better person. But you know, Peter stands up and he says, this is that. Or this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You want to understand all that's going on here, Pentecost? This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is Peter who denied Jesus a few weeks earlier. A weeks, I said. No, no, no not months. And not years. But a few weeks earlier. In the face of questioning, he doesn't want to know him. He denies ever knowing him. He don't want to be... I don't want to be associated with Jesus whatsoever. Uh, after the resurrection and time with Jesus, and then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he speaks this brilliant sermon. And it's noted that they're, 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 you know, they're people from Galilee. He's a Galilean. You know, like, I don't want to use any sort of culture in our country that would be politically incorrect. But uh, you know, these were the, they were looked down on. They were the uncultured of Israel. And he preaches this sermon. And he draws from the Old Testament and, and refers to the Psalms of David and, and prophecies from the Old Testament. Quotes from the prophet Joel. I mean, he pulls all this together, stands up in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit. And he speaks prophecies and visions and dreams. Salvation. And then he says, in the middle of all this, he goes, brothers. He says, I can tell you confidently. Who's that? Who is this man who cowered in front of a brazier a few weeks earlier because somebody said, oh, you're, you're with Jesus. Who is this? This is a man filled with the spirit. This is a man who's got... A, empowered from on high. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. I don't want us to settle for anything less. Let me just ask the question. You don't have to shout out, by the way, but have you had a Pentecost? Have you had a Pentecost? You stay in the city. Stay in the city until you clothe power from on high. Have you had a Pentecost, my friend? The Holy Spirit gives us revelation. He gives us passion. He enables praise. He gives us confidence. We need him. We need him. Pentecost is just the beginning. Did you notice? It's in the second chapter of Acts. It isn't the destination. 
It's the beginning. It's not where they're meant to arrive at. It's where they start off from, filled with the Spirit. The book of Acts tells you the rest of the story. Nobody reads the book of Acts and goes, that was great after chapter 2. Really enjoyed that. No, they read the rest. They're interested in the rest. Read the rest. Keep on using, and Paul tells us to, keep on being filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, keep on being filled with the Spirit. My friends, keep on using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've been following Jesus for 42 years. 42 years. Des and I were born into this. We were born into the baptism of the Spirit. We were, this, was, this, is our, this is right in the guts of our being. We, we got this. We understood this wasn't just uh, a, you know, a change of thinking, but it's a radical change of life. We understood that. It is a change of thinking, but it's a radical change of life. It's an empowered life. I remember sitting with one uh, young man, and uh, he couldn't move on. A situation in his life, he just could not move on. It was like one thumping great big knot in a rope. I don't know if you've seen thick rope and a great big knot. And he could not move on. We just sat together. He and I we sat together. We talked. And then we invited the Holy Spirit into that moment. That's all we did. We said, Holy Spirit, would you, just, would you give a bigger picture here? And, that, and he saw that he saw that God was there all the time. And that God hadn't left him alone. He didn't understand all the whys and the wherefores, but he just knew that God had been with him all the time, in a moment. And it doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes it's gradual, I get that. But in a moment, that knot just went. That knot just went. Do you know the Holy Spirit's the best counselor? Christian counselors will lead you to, the, to Jesus through the Spirit. That's what they'll do. The Holy Spirit's the best counselor. The Holy Spirit's the best psychiatrist. He is the best one. The Holy, Un Holy Spirit knows you better, of course he does, than anybody else knows you. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, my friends. We were brought up in this stuff. So the question is, so what is it that limits us? What is it that limits the power of God in our lives? I don't know if you've ever been to a seaside and, and one of those where, the, where there's a river that runs into the, along the beach. And when you get a, a beach like that, you, you'll always find kids. They're, they're, they've been in the sea, but they want to be by the river and they want to get rocks and they stick rocks in this little stream. They stick them in there. Anything to divert the river, stem it, dam it, stop it, whatever, they're doing it, rocks. And what we want to do is, uh, this series is really just to, let's remove the rocks and let the river flow. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers, rivers of living water will flow from within. And by this he said that he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him will later to receive. So what is it that blocks the flow? Now in Acts I mean, in Luke 24, it says, um, it says, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name. So let's do first things first, shall we? Repentance. It's foundational. 
It's foundational to the work of the power of God in your life. It's foundational. Don't, you can't skip it. And, yet, and you, can't, you can't minimize it either. You know, somebody spoke to me the other day, and they suspected that all those years they had, where they lacked an assurance of faith in Jesus Christ, all happened because there was a lack of repentance in their life. Jesus is not an extra. I mean, he's the, he's the best. You know, he comes to change our lives. Utterly. Now, I've done, it's more, it's, it's more than just saying sorry. I've done this, we do the sorry stuff. <laughs> when I was a young Christian, I, I did more sorries than probably any of you really. <laughs> Kept coming up, sorry, you sure, Lord, you still like me and all the rest of it. I, I, I did all that, but repentance is, it goes to the guts of you. You know, the Bible, it tells us that in that first gospel sermon that Peter preached, the hearers were cut to the heart. And later on, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he, he talks about a circumcision, not done by the hands of men, but done by Christ. That, that he's talking about is a circumcision of the heart. It's painful. Understand that. It's cut. There's no other word. It doesn't touch or massaged, it's cut to the heart. The word repent is rooted in the mind. So it, it's a radical change of thinking. Now you need reality to do that. You need a, a sense of reality. It's a revelation, this. Now I do have conversations with people who have an interest, or sort of dabbling with an, an interest in Jesus Christ and Christianity. And but well, they, here's the line that they often come. But they, they want to tell me, but really they're a good person. So they said that I, that I don't. How many times that's this? But I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And <laughs> it's, it's sort of incompatible with the grace of God, you know. God is seen, therefore, as the one who gives them a little extra in their life. You don't need a little extra. You need a new life. That's what's needed. A life that's filled with the power of God. The reason repentance is painful is because it deals with reality. That's why it's painful. We're not pretending to be something that we aren't. It's painful. That's why it hurts. Charles Colson illustrates this in his book, Born Again. He's the hatchet man of the Nixon, President Nixon era in the 70s. Colson boasted he would walk over his grandmother to ensure Nixon was re-elected to the White House. And in the political turbulence, which is known as the Watergate scandal, of which his name, he was <coughs> chief enemy number one, he's seeing a man called Tom Phillips, who's a Christian, and Tom Phillips reads to him from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And this particular evening, he reads to him uh, the chapter on pride. And after he's read it, Colson was sort of noncommittal. But he says, this is what he was thinking. He said, Lewis's torpedo had hit me amidships. That one chapter had ripped through the protective armor in which I had unknowingly encased myself for 42 years. In those brief moments, 
I saw myself as never had before. And the picture was ugly. Don't give me good. On leaving Phillips' house, he stopped the car and he broke down. He said, I was crying so hard, it was like swimming underwater. Repentance experiences the pain I have brought to another. That's what repentance does. Doesn't gloss over it. You know, I, having assumed, isn't it? I, having assumed my life is my own, I discover that on the contrary, I've been robbing God of something that is rightfully His. He gave me the gift of life for His purposes, and I robbed it for myself. I turned my back on Him. I stuck fingers up in His face. What's more, I damaged other people who are his creation. Repentance is not a one-off either. I often ask, I often ask the Holy Spirit, I often ask him, uh, go over moments of my day and things that I've said and done. And uh, people will say, I don't do this enough, by the way. And, and, I, and I check my attitudes and my motives and I, I ask him, will you please come in and speak? Just make me uncomfortable or is there anything I should be hearing? And, and he does speak, my friends. I don't have blank days. You know, I go, I think perhaps you want to clarify this. And do you know how that came over? Come on. We, we, we want to keep the channels clear. We want to keep the channels clear, my friends. We've been created. We've been created for streams of living waters. What's the rock in your life? Repentance needs dealing with. You know, rivers of living water. This is not a promise. I mean, this is not a suggestion. It's a promise. Whoever believes in me, it's Jesus' promise to you. Christian, the Christian life, my friends, is not a matter of let go and let God. Whoever gave you that one. It isn't. It consists of working with the Holy Spirit. It requires sensitivity to him. What he's doing in our lives. And how he wants to work with us. It requires sensitivity. You have to keep the channels open. Don't let them get blocked. One of the biggest obstacles, the biggest rocks in we face in self, is self-reliance. And Jesus constantly steers his disciples towards leaning on their heavenly father. He constantly does it. And, he, and he's outrageous. God, he says, uh, love your enemies. Come on. Everybody knows you love your friends, hate your enemies. I mean, that's what you do. And Jesus says, it's not how it works. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's the line that you might be sons of your Father in heaven. That, my friends, is how it works. You want to be a son and a daughter of the king? This is how we do it. We do it his way. You can only get this from your heavenly Father, by the way. Jesus constantly modeled leaning on his Father. He seemed to deliberately put them in places where they didn't have the resources. So I think the disciples are great. They go to, there's 5,000 people. 
Jesus has been speaking all day. And, uh, and the disciples notice that the people are hungry and it's late. And we ought to look after them. They're very pastoral for a change. And uh, so they do this pastoral stuff. And, uh, and Jesus says, you feed them. Come on. There are 5,000 people. You feed them. So somebody comes up with a, a, a lunchbox, five loaves, two fish. I mean, I don't know how this is done. <laughs> We've got a lunchbox. You know? I'm, not sure. I'm not sure how this works. We've got a lunchbox. You want to know what Jesus does with the lunchbox? He breaks the, he, as he breaks the loaves, he looks up to heaven. Don't miss that one. I'm teaching you how to receive the resources from heaven. He looks up to heaven. And then he breaks the loaves. And then he says to the disciples, get out the way, you idiots. Let me do this. He doesn't do that at all, does he? He hands it out to them and says, I want you part of this. How wonderful is that? I want you to be part of this. Just lean on your heavenly father. Then he sends them out. And he explicitly tells them, explicitly, don't take any gold, silver, copper in your belts. Take no bags for the journey. Extra tunic or sandals or staff. In other words, I want no bags here, boys. No suitcases. Just go. The worker's worthy of the keep. And he teaches them to look to his father, their father in heaven. Do you know, on the last Alpha course... Well, one of those on the Alpha course, they'd been there coming three weeks. And they said to me, after three weeks, they said, I came because I wanted to know more about Christianity. I wanted to learn about Christianity. He said, and I realize it's a relationship. I hope you realize this too, my friends. It's a relationship. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, what did he say? When you pray, say, um, we're not sure, are we? So when you pray, say, Our Father, Our Father. Jesus constantly modeling this relationship. I can only do what I see my Father doing. Jesus says, I can only do what I see my Father doing. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, wh- where does self-reliance come from? I think actually fundamentally it comes from an er erroneous view of God. Your view of God as your father will determine your relationship with him. Your view of God as your father will determine your relationship with him. Martin Luther is a theologian, a monk, priest. He's a key champion of the Reformation movement in the 1600s. And allegedly said this, I have difficulty saying the Lord's Prayer. Because whenever I say our father... I think of my own father, who's a hard, unyielding, relentless man. I cannot help but think about God in this way. You know, and some of us have a lens through which we see God in terms of certain authority figures in our lives, whether it's parents or teachers. I, I can remember a couple of teachers. It's funny how they stick in your mind, isn't it? I had some really good teachers, but I do remember the bullies. I remember teachers who were just bullies, absolute bullies. It's amazing what an impact it has on you. Are you seeing God through those, those lens, through those eyes? 
Listen, it's really important this. You know, whether it's parents, teachers, authority bosses, authority figures, you've got to change your lens. Seeing God as some angry, mean, pernickety policeman can't wait to thump you with a truncheon as soon as you step out. If that's your view of God, you've missed it. That's not it. Jesus said this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, look at it through one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Loving, compassionate, patient, full of understanding. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. You want to follow Jesus. You want to see what he's like? Is his love conditional? I remember Ron telling me about a boy at the school in which he was teaching. His family were going out for a celebratory meal. After the 12 plus exams, when the results were coming through, celebratory meal. But he failed. Father called it off. Wow. Oh my. Oh my, what a lens to look through. No, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Is your God conditional like that? No, he's not. Whilst we were yet sinners, the Bible says, yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing you can do any more than you do. There's nothing that you can do, my friends, to make him love you any more. There's nothing. The cross will tell you that. Is he unreliable? No, he's faithful. And Jesus, I think in the middle of Luke's gospel, sets his face towards Jerusalem. I'm going to the cross. Is he unreliable? No, he's faithful. Is he unyielding? No, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Is he stingy, reluctant? No. I've come that you might have life. Have it to the full. Everything you read about Jesus, is he aloof? Is he cold? No. He's filled with compassion. He's moved with compassion. He has compassion for the crowd. There are, these are rocks that limit and distort our expectations of God. So how do we change just as we come to an end? I mean, the ongoing repentance thing, it's really key. I mean, keep your accounts short. Don't let yourself get blocked up. You know, the closer you push in, the easier it is to hear him. Lean on your father. Let him take the weight of your life. No one else can take the weight of your life. They can't do it. There's too much glory about a single person that you would stick the weight of that on somebody else's life. Only God can take that. Your Father in heaven. Don't do that to others. It's not fair. They can't take it. Lean on him. Find your peace in him. Anxiety, you know, it gnaws away. It depletes us. It diminishes us. But the peace of God strengthens us, heals us, restores us. George Muller is an amazing man of faith. He feeds hundreds of orphans. One day he comes downstairs. There's no breakfast in the house. 300 children to feed. So he calls the children to pray. And as they're praying, there's a knock on the door. It's the milkman and the cart has broken down. And there's no way that he can get the milk out. And if it's going to go off. And so he says, can you use this? Yeah, they, they can. And then a little while later, not long later, there's another knock on the door. And it's the baker. And he said, God woke me up at two o'clock this morning. He said, you'd need some bread for this morning. So he gets out all these loaves for their breakfast. Now, the interesting thing, and the important thing is this. 
that and when he calls the children to pray, he says, calls them and says, let's see what God will do. I think that's a great line, don't you? Let's see what God will do. There's a preacher to their papal household, and he once wrote, if the written word of the Bible could be changed into a spoken word and become one single voice, this one voice, more powerful than the roaring sea, would cry out, the Father loves you. So let's lean on him. Hey, let's see what he will do. Amen.